Uh, turn with me, please, to Mark chapter 9, verse 42. Mark chapter 9, verse 42. Mark 9, 42. The scripture, it reads, and if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, you know who's talking. This is none other than Jesus. Verse 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled then with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, Tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. In our world today, sin, the word sin is a byword. This word is in the process of being redefined by a culture that dislike its use as it pertains to them. Well, why? Because people feel as if no one has the right to judge them. No one has the right to suggest that you're sinning. No one has a right to deny, the world says, me the freedom to be all that I can be. You see, people today weren't the first ones to use that phrase that used to belong to the army. People are coming out of all types of closets. And I think we have not yet seeing the full extent as to the amount and the number of people who are coming out of the closet to express themselves. Now, just because I said closet, I don't want you to think that I'm limiting my idea only to a certain type of behavior. Because I'm not. What I mean is that people have hidden all types of dark practices 
in their own personal space for a long time. It's not just what we think it is, but there's everything else that's connected and, and things that extend far beyond that, uh, that now folks just want to be who they want to be. You see, uh, once you let this jack-in-the-box out the box, you ain't going to be able to get them back in unless Jesus gets to them and saves them. So when we think that we're supporting one idea, know that we have to think deeper. Know that we have to think uh, deeper theologically about what people are saying or the cause that they are promoting. So I tell you right out, the, right out the gate, be careful who you support. Be careful who you give your money to. Be careful even where your investments go. Are you aware that you could be involved in an IRA or, or, or anything of that matter, in an annuity that supports a cause that's against your own faith? Are you aware of that? But I also understand that we are not in the business about bashing anyone. Amen? Because, again, we also believe that all people, and I do mean all people, are made in the image of God. Now, I believe that some folks who are made in the image of God, when they get to heaven, God going to say, who are you? Because when I made you, when I made this person, you don't look nothing like them. But everyone is made in the image of God, and it is that respect and love that we should have for all of mankind should be uh, how we should approach folks. In other words, there's something good about them. And that something good about them is that they were made in the image of God. However, 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 some people expect for everyone to celebrate their coming out of the closetness with them. And when you don't celebrate their coming out of the closetness with them, then you are considered a bigot. You are considered uh, intolerant because you don't accept the way that they want to live. So because you reject whatever that may be, I don't know, maybe it's someone who likes to lie all the time. So what they do, they have taken to false advertising and education. They said it's not good enough for them just to be on the airways. It's not good enough for them just to have parades. That's not good enough. What they need to do is they need to put their lifestyle even in the textbooks of your children. They need to put their lifestyles in mathematic books. Because they want to make sure that your kids, they want to make sure, go ahead and look at your pretty little kids, right? Look at them. They want to make sure little Tom, Dick, Jane, and Harry, and Harriet, that they grow up with this acceptance of this lifestyle just when they're most vulnerable. So today, we are going to look at sin from two different angles. Yes, 
everyday, ordinary, plain old sin which God doesn't like. And we're going to look at this from two different angles as our Lord and Savior Jesus teaches. And here's a question that we all must grapple with. And I put it to you today. What will your future look like when you sin? What will your future look like when you sin? Well, here's the first one. Your future doesn't look good. Here it is. Your future doesn't look good, more specifically, when you cause someone else to sin. Your future, you do not have a good outlook for your life when you cause someone else to sin. Mark 9, 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, Jesus says, it would be better for him if a great, that means really big, right? Millstone were hung around his or her neck. If you don't have her in the scripture, go ahead and add it. It would be better for him or her if a great millstone were hung around his or her neck and he or her were thrown into the sea. Brothers and sisters in this place today, I want you to know that God will not give you a pass when you lead others down the path to darkness. God will not give you a pass when you lead other folks down the path into darkness. Here in this passage, we see again that Jesus, he mentions the little ones, right? And it refers back, if you recall from a couple of messages ago, it refers back to verse 37 in which he picks up a child in his arms to state a point about uh, the innocence and accepting people who are not great, those folks who are not strong and people who have no status in the world. Again, little ones refers uh, to the weakest of individuals who are spiritually vulnerable and defenseless against those who are manipulative and conniving. But here in 9.42, Jesus says that these little ones, he qualifies it, right? He says these little ones that they believe in him. So these little ones who are defenseless, uh, defenseless and, and vulnerable, Jesus says that they believe in him. In other words, there is a point in time in which they had trusted in Christ in all that they knew of him. Now, even though at this particular point in Scripture, if you are uh, aware of where we are historically concerning the life of Jesus Christ, you know at this particular point, Jesus had not been condemned, he had not been crucified, he had not been buried, and he had not been raised from the dead, historically. But yet, Jesus says that there were people who believed in him. And in this case, they were defenseless. And the Lord knows that they were also vulnerable as well. So it is possible, I want you to know, right, here it is, it is possible to 
Have a faith or trust in Jesus Christ based on the information that you have about him. In other words, if someone were to say, well, uh, Pastor Spencer, if you believe in Jesus Christ that I had to know all that I know today versus the first time I said yes to Jesus Christ, I probably wouldn't have never gotten saved. When I first said yes to Jesus Christ, I mean, I just, I knew that, I knew as a little kid there was something wrong with me because I don't know about you, as my wife always says, you look crazy. Right? So I knew that I was a little crazy when I was a kid. I knew there was something not right about me. I, I was a kid. Come on. I had fun. I did bad and good stuff just like you did. Say amen. Some of you folks running around here ride, driving motorcycles. Isn't that right? <laughs> it's a good thing. You'll be amazed. Amen. It's a good thing. It's all good. But you know that we only knew just a tiny, itty, bitty bit when we first said, yes, Jesus. We didn't know anything about the hypostatic union. And as a matter of fact, if you were told us about we had to understand the hypostatic union, you said, no, this is something that I don't need to know and I don't want to come to Jesus. If you were to tell me at that time, or some of you, when you first accepted Christ, that you had to explain the Trinity and give three reasons for your explanation, you probably would have said, absolutely not. I don't get it all. But for these little ones, they believed in Jesus. These little ones, innocent, vulnerable, that they believed in Jesus Christ. And that's a good thing. Their belief was current and it was active. It was ongoing. So again, you may not have all the information there is to know about Jesus, but one thing that you do know that you have, place your faith in him. But some folks insist that, you know, I need more information. If I'm going to believe in Jesus Christ, I need more information. I would say things like, uh, and I've heard it before, only if Jesus were to drop down out of heaven right now and perform a miracle, then I would find my faith in him. Or they would say, only if I were to see Jesus with my own eyes and touch him with my own hands, and then and only then will I believe him. Or they would say, only if I see Jesus coming uh, through the clouds and coming down, then and only then will I believe in Jesus. But these little ones that Jesus speaks of, they didn't have all that. They didn't have all that. So here Jesus, he issues this very extreme warning about sin. Jesus says that sin is serious. He's telling us today that just in case you forgot, just in case you're living your life as if God cannot see you, God says he wants you to know that sin is serious. As a matter of fact, that is so awesome, I think we need to repeat that out loud. Let's say that 
with me. Sin is serious. We must always remember that while sinning against people is harmful, all sin, all trespass against God, it reeks of disobedience. So the question remains then, well, what type of sin receives such a grave response from Jesus Christ? I mean, we read that. They're going to hell. Did you see that? Did you see what Jesus said? Where are they going? Are they going on a cruise? Right? Are they going on a riverboat? No. It says that they are taking a trip. And that trip is not on that good old gospel ship. But that trip is to hell in a handbasket. So if we know sin, like I know you know sin, come on, then we are well aware that everybody sins. Can you say amen? I know some of you say, well, I've been saved by Jesus Christ and since I've been saved by Jesus Christ. I haven't seen a day of sin in my life. And I say, liar. I call you a liar. You say, well, wait a minute now. Maybe I need to get up out of here. Well, if you walk up out of here now, then that just proves my point. So if you need to leave early, First John chapter 1 verse 8. First John chapter 1 verse 8. This is what the Apostle John says. Remember that the Apostle John, that he wrote this epistle, he wrote this letter to believers. Right? The Apostle John wrote this letter to people who are supposed to know Jesus Christ. 1 John 1 and 8. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Did you see that for yourselves? Some people will say that doesn't even belong in the Bible. Yeah. So he says that if you say that I am without sin, then the truth it's not in you. So if you say that I don't have any sin, then the truth is not in you. And this, in fact, I say, brothers and sisters, is made evident by the lie that you told when you said you don't have sin. The consequence of sinning in Mark 9 is very grave, and none of us could measure up to the standard that Jesus sets in place. The key here is to understand that this person causes someone who believes in Jesus to sin. They teach them or manipulate them into sinning against God. Uh, this sin uh, could be concerning morality. Towards unbelief and the acceptance of false teaching. This is why, again, you have to always remember and always have this deep in my heart and my mind what Scripture says about anyone who wants to become a teacher of the Word. You be careful. 
You be careful if you want to teach the Word of God because God is going to hold you to a higher standard than everybody else. And that scares me. And that's why I spend so much time in the Word of God. So Jesus says it would be better uh, for this person to, who causes someone else to sin, it would better, be better if someone tied a cement block around their neck and then pushed them into the sea. This millstone, in fact, check this out, in the original language, I'm not going to tell you what that says in the original language, but I'll translate it. In the original language, this is, listen to this, a donkey millstone. A donkey millstone. You've seen it before, some of these large wheels that they use to grind grain, right? And they're attached to some beast of burden. And this beast of burden goes round and round in this thing. And as he goes, just walks around, that that big giant wheel, that it just crushes the grain there and just turning it into powder. These things, if you can imagine a big cement block, uh, it's about four to six feet tall, as tall as I am. And you can imagine weighing three, four, maybe 500 pounds. The weight has to be substantial in order to crush the grain. So now, imagine a big giant cement block about as tall as I am getting one of your pretty little necklaces, ladies, right? Uh, taking that, uh, wrapping that around the hole in that wheel, tying that around your neck, and then jumping into the sea. This is what Jesus speaks of. Uh, when I read this, I think of the days of, uh, remember the old gangster movies when... Uh, 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 that, that one person didn't like the other person, the one gang didn't like the other gang, they would catch, catch one person, you know what they would do? They would take their feet and they would do what? Put it in a semen. Remember seeing those old movies? Yeah, my wife tells me all the time about these movies, right? So you know, they would put their feet in the semen, allow it to dry so they can't move their feet, and then they would push them over into the river. So by being in the bottom of a sea or a lake, Jesus said, at least you have a chance of, of, of having salvation. At least God may have more mercy on your life. But by leading someone to sin, uh, you it's just over for you. So the word picture that Jesus presents is an extreme punishment for anyone who would cause spiritual harm for another. Here it is. That's what it's about. Causing spiritual harm to another person. This sin isn't about saying bad things to someone or hurting their feelings. No, it's not talking about that. It's about leading another down a path that causes them irreparable spiritual harm. They cause another person to live in disobedience towards God. It is one thing to do it yourself and for yourself. It's another thing to push it upon another person. Why is Jesus being so harsh? Why isn't Jesus being more tolerant? Why isn't Jesus showing more grace? And wait a minute, I thought that God was love. What is this about Jesus? In fact, some scholars would look at this 
And one of the things that they would do at a passage like this, they would want to remove it from the Bible. I want you to know this. They want to remove this from the Bible. So when we think through Scripture to hear the voice of the Lord, then one thing is clear. Only the devil is known for tempting people towards disobedience towards God. He started all off in the garden, remember, uh, tempting Adam and Eve, causing them to be separated from the Lord. And then he tried to, to tempt Jesus in Luke chapter 4 by trying to get him to worship him and operate outside of God's uh, revealed will for him within his humanity. So by putting two and two together, we see that one person tempting another to sin is demonic. Yes, it's fleshly, but it is satanic. Well, what are some of the ways someone can cause you to sin? Well, you already know, Scripture says, don't get drunk. Amen? Some people say, well, should a Christian drink? Should they not drink? Well, the Scripture says, don't get drunk. So if you go somewhere, right, and a, uh, 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 an elder of the church said, go ahead and drink some more now. Go ahead and drink some more now. And you end up drunk. And, they, and you say, well, I might get drunk. And they tell you, it's okay. God don't mind. Guess what? God does mind. Because he says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with his spirit instead. Instead, So if you want to get drunk, get drunk with Jesus. Amen? So if you want to be staggering, you tell people, I'm so full of the Holy Spirit that I can barely stand to my feet. But you don't want to say, uh, I'm so full that people can't stand to smell you because you're so drunk. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the next series of illustrations Jesus uses, he focuses on the sin that we ourselves commit in pursuit of our own desires. So first we said that our future is not, does not look good when we cause someone else to sin. And then number two, your future doesn't look good when you sin on your own behalf. So you get, you get it either way. You're thinking, well, okay, I haven't caused anybody else to sin, so I'm off the hook. Wrong again. Again, Mark 9, 43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable. Or here's that word, the asbestos. Here's the word right here, the asbestos. This is the word asbestos in Greek. To the asbestos. That fire which is not going to go out. So Jesus teaches that whatever causes sin should be stopped at all costs. Look at what he says. Again, verse 43, he said, if your hand causes you to sin, right? Uh, so if you like to steal people's iPhone, Jesus says, cut it off. Right? If your foot causes you to sin, if the uh, only time that you can use your feet is to, uh, let's say, go into a place of pornography, right? Your feet does, just walks, does the happy dance there. Uh, Jesus says that if that's the case with you, you need to cut your foot off so you can't go into that place. Okay, uh, you say, well, no, I don't do that. I don't do that. Okay, here it is, right? So Jesus would say this. If your finger 
causes you to type in a username and a password to a pornography site to hit enter as you enter into the site. Jesus said, if your fingers cause you to do that, cut them off. Jesus says sin is serious and it should not be taken lightly. In each of these cases, Jesus says that their spiritual state would be better if they went to these extremes ensuring that they do not sin. We've already seen a suggested extreme for the person that causes another person to sin. And now we hear about the suggested extreme a person should put themselves through if they were sin, if they were to sin on their own behalf. Jesus is not now. Understand this. All right, here it is. A little less focus now. So if you're taking a nap, I want you to wake up. I want you to hear this. Here it is. Everybody up, say amen. amen. Everybody. Amen. All right. So Jesus is not telling you to go and cut your hand off. Jesus is not telling you to, well, well, he's not telling you. He's not expecting you to go and cut your foot off. Amen? No, Jesus is not expecting you, and neither am I. So if you go out here and you, and you go and chop something off, I said, well, you might, at least you might be saved, but you can't blame me, right? Look, look, Jesus is not telling you to do that. Pastor Spencer is not telling you to go and chop your fingers off because you keep logging on to these pornography uh, websites. No, I'm, I'm not saying that. But also understand what would happen if we did that. You know sin. Sin is sneaky. Because you know that, okay, Jesus tells me to cut my hand off. Then you say, well, I always got my other hand. They say, okay, let me cut that off. You say, well, I can always use my toes to type on the keyboard. <laughs> well, cut that off. You know how sin is. Well, I can probably use my elbows Cut that off. Well, I can probably type on the keyboard with my nose. Right? So, so what I'm saying, you know how sin is. It's, 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 sin is very addictive. It's like a drug addict who, once he gets clean, he can't be around that kind of stuff anymore. Because if he or she just sees that stuff, that they're going to be drawn to it and want to do anything they can in order to get on that high. Sin, come on, you know, it's like being, I know, you know, it's like being on that high. Now I'll pick on some of the sisters, right? Uh, some of you sisters, you know what sin is like. Sin is like that candy that you like, right? I know some of the sisters, like especially for some strange reason, there's like a spirit of, uh, of sweet tongue flowing through our worship team, right? Uh, there, there's more than a few of them that like that, so we have to pray for that, right? Sin is like that. You just can't resist. You, you, when you see it and you smell it, or if it's in your presence, you got to eat it. And it's like uh, candy wrappers all over the place, right, Sister Gabrielle? It's like, you know, it's like you go nuts. That's the way sin is. So 
So by the way of positive comparison, if you want to call it that, right? Jesus says it would be better to get rid of the thing that causes us to sin than to actually sin. Now I am not sure how many of us would consider this a positive thing. Why? Well, would it really be positive to go through life without an eye, a foot, or a hand? That's not positive. That's not a real choice for us. And we already know some people will say that, that I just go on sinning. I'd rather sin than to obey Jesus Christ. But understand this from the perspective of Jesus who knows everything. Remember, God is omniscient. Jesus is omniscient. They, they know everything. He, Jesus, has seen the consequence of sin and know how unbearable it will be for people who think they know more than him. All right, well, what are you talking about? Luke chapter 16, come on. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 22. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 22. And I'm going to start at the end of the verse the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, if you don't know what Hades is, it is uh, back at that time, that first century, it was basically a garbage dump that, that burned 24-7. Right? Here in Hades, or Jesus uses this to identify what hell is. Verse 23, and in Hades, being in torment, this rich man, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Is that you? Do you see what this, this guy is saying? He's not requesting a liter of water. He didn't ask for a cup or even a spoonful of water. What does he say? He says, send Lazarus to dip. Look at that. The end. Have you ever, have you ever dipped your finger in water before? Do you know how much water that is? Come on. Right? So he dipped his end, not the whole finger, right? What does it say? What does the scripture say? Not the whole finger. The end of his finger. So this, can you see? Come on, you, all of you got fingers in here, right? Amen. All right, so look at your finger, if it's there. All right, look at your finger, right? So he just dipped that much in there. Imagine when you take that finger out how much water is there. So this rich man says, that's how much I want. That's how bad hell is. So if you think that you're big and bad, then go ahead. I'm not going with you. Jesus knows that once we experience the wages of sin, we will wish we would have plucked out both of our eyes. It's kind of like this, right? You go to the dentist, and for some of you, I, 
not many young folks, well, some young folks have the experience, right? But I've been there, right? Thank God I have most. I have to say all this other stuff unless you be looking at me funny, right? It's like going to the dentist, and the dentist say, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, that one tooth right there is going bad. Yeah, and uh, Mr. So-and-so and Mrs. So-and-so, if we don't take, you, you, you heard that stuff before, right? If we don't, uh, if I don't take that out, you know, then they start that whole explanation. You know, it can really affect your whole body. And now they say that it can even affect your heart, right? I guess that's part of your whole body, right? So they say, if I don't extract that tooth, then you might get really, really sick. This is like what Jesus is saying about sin. That whatever causes you to sin, if you don't get rid of that thing, then it can just mess you up as a whole. So what Jesus tells us is that sin is a spiritual condition none of us wants to be in because sin sins. Can you say that? Sin sins? Come on. Sin sins. Say it again. Sin sends us to hell. It is not good to be in sin and not good to be in hell. I have heard all types of things from all types of people like they would rather go to hell than to believe in the nonsense of Jesus Christ. But that's foolishness. That talk is foolishness. But everyone has some situation that they really don't like. Some people just really hate broccoli. Some people really hate Brussels sprouts. I happen to love both of those things. But uh, they would say that, uh, you know what, uh, but I don't want to go to, uh, I don't want to believe in Jesus Christ because I really hate him more than I hate Brussels sprouts or broccoli. But Jesus goes on, he says, well, you need to look at this. Mark 9, 48. He says, because in this place of hell, where their worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. What does that mean? Well, it's kind of hard if you, like, you know, I'm not sure how many of you do it now, but it's, uh, if you grew up on a farm like I did, right? Uh, one thing, no, I didn't grow up on a farm. I grew up in the city, right? Uh, if you grew up on the farm, then you know that worms in the ground is good, amen? Right? You know that worms in the soil, that this is a good thing. But what about worms in your body? What about worms when you, <laughs> this happened to me before when I was a kid, that I went to my neighbor's apple tree and I got an apple. I'm like, oh man, this looks good. I washed it off real good and I started eating it and I was eating and the next thing I know, this little thing starts sticking his head about the apple. You like those kind of worms? You know, these worms that Jesus is speaking about, they're maggots. And he says, these maggots in hell are going to be in your body 24-7. 24-7. But I think this is a figure of the spiritual, emotional 
torment that we are going to experience. I shouldn't say we because I ain't going to hell. That you may experience. I believe in Jesus Christ. And I'm confident. I'm assured where I'm going. So the idea of the worms being internal and the idea of the fire being external saying everywhere you go, every move that you make in hell, that it is going to be torment. It's not going to be good. So Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God in terms of this heavenly state. Future. He says it would be better to enter the kingdom of God. This is heaven. And if you've been following along very closely and listening with discerning ears and hearts and mind, that one of the things you understand about the kingdom of God is that Jesus speaks on the one hand about the kingdom of God being in the here and the now, right? That once you believe in him, you enter into this place of the kingdom of God right now, right here. But Jesus also speaks here in this passage, right? He speaks of the kingdom of God as being there. So the kingdom of God is both now and the kingdom of God is also there as well. It is this heavenly state. But then Jesus says, who you are will be revealed with salt. Who you are will be revealed with salt. Verse 49 in Mark 9. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Your time of testing is on the way. He says that everyone will be salted with fire. What does this mean? Well, it's difficult because we know that Jesus has already said that his disciples should be, people should be sought in light concerning a reflection of who he is. But how can a person who doesn't know Jesus Christ be salted with fire? Well, the bottom line is, is that uh, when the fire of hell uh, approaches you, you are going to be consumed by it. Right? Or when the fire of testing comes into your life, that that will break you down and that will identify you as an unbeliever. But for those of us who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, understand that being salted with fire means you're going to be tested. It means you're going to be tried. And it means that everything that's going on in your life, that that fire is going to test you, and everything that is not of the Lord, that it's going to be burned up. But we ourselves will be saved, amen? And I said, Lord, take everything from me that you don't like, because I'd rather be with you than to be in hell. So everything that you don't like about me, just take it, Lord, period. Salt is a purifying agent. That was oftentimes used in the Old Testament sacrifices. We're very familiar with that. And then in verse 50, Jesus drills down on the meaning of this salt specifically for the believer. Now he speaks specifically to the believer. For a disciple of Jesus Christ, salt is good as it purifies and makes better whatever it touches. So that means everywhere that you go, everywhere the people that you interact with means that uh, something about you is supposed to make the situation better. Whether or not you uh, try to lead them to Jesus Christ or, or, or the fact remains that you just become Jesus, the hand, or the feet 
of Jesus in the situation where you are. But he says if salt loses its saltiness, then what good is it? How many people would put salt on their food if it didn't make it taste better? None. It would be like putting gas in your car and it's still like you're an E because your car is not going anywhere. This is really important. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're supposed to make life better for other people by telling them there's a better way because you're supposed to be unique in this world. You become the heart of Jesus to a world that is trapped in sinfulness. In their sinfulness, they think they're okay and don't need a way out. They think their little fishbowl that they exist in with their own little castles, they think that they're king and not knowing that there is a real God who demands true justice. You know, we hear all the time about celebrities passing away. All the time. And one thing I never want to be said of me, no, I'm not calling myself a celebrity, I'm just saying, one thing I do not want to be said of me and here's, his, here's the question. Did they know the Lord? And then they started, well, well, I remember when they did this, that, and then this, that, and the other. And then you said, but wait a minute. But when you look at their life, it looks like they weren't Christian. But, they said, but I remember the time, they, then you said, well, wait a minute. What would they say about you? Well, they say that, yes, Mother Crockett, that she was a Christian. Or will they say, I don't quite know because, right when they start saying because. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, please. Verse 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 10. Then... I saw the wicked buried. Well, they used to go in and out of the holy place. Did you see that? Did you hear that? And just in case you missed it, it says, again, then I saw the wicked, the wicked buried. They used to go in and out, here it is, of the church. And were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Interesting choice of words, Kohelet. Verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. He's saying because people are not experiencing immediate judgment, they go on to sin like it's never, like judgment will never happen to them. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow. 
because he does not fear before God. For us who are followers of Jesus Christ, my encouragement to you is to be sought. Be sought in the world and be an aroma of life to the rottenness and the stench that we find in darkness. For those of you who do not know Jesus Christ, his door is open, and it always is. Will you follow him today, or will you continue your trek to hell? Simple as that. Let's pray.